0: How many of you like to look good? Let's be honest. If you don't like to look good, you're crazy or you're dishonest this morning. You like to look good, don't you? And and that's normal. And apparently in America, it's a pretty good obsession. In 2012, we spent, listen to this, Americans spent over $11 billion in cosmetic surgeries. How many of you now wish you'd have grown up and been a plastic surgeon? $11 billion. Last year, last year in America, America alone, we had over 15 million cosmetic procedures. Now, listen, I'm I'm not knocking that. If If I could trim some nose off and have some more hair, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Uh, It's probably wrong when it becomes an obsession and you're spending money where you ought to be spending it somewhere else. But the bottom line is we want to look good. And this morning in Galatians 5, 5, we're going to look at how we can look good. If you were here last Sunday morning, you know we talked about uh, some ugly things, the works of the flesh. And... And this morning, we're going to be talking about what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. And here's the first big point this morning. When we are really right with Jesus, we look great. From the inside out, we look great. And and to to bring it together a little simpler, when you are a Christian, when Christ lives in you, and you are living your life day by day, controlled by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, people get nervous when they hear those terms because they don't understand them. Control and filled are synonymous. So to be controlled by the Holy Spirit is to be filled. To be filled with the Spirit is to be controlled by the Spirit. And to be filled or controlled by the Spirit is to be filled or controlled by Jesus, okay? So when you are a Christian who is controlled and filled by the Holy Spirit, He makes you look pretty. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Read these with me in your Bible or on the screen. The fruit of the Spirit, nine qualities, love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Against these, uh, there is no law. Now, here's a very interesting tidbit. Go back to verse 22, please. Notice it says, the fruit of the Spirit is. Now, just a quick uh, English grammar lesson. 99% of you know this anyway, but if you're going to talk about something being plural, you use the word are. In fact, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 and 20 through 21, when it talks about the works of the sinful nature, it uses the plural. They are. You notice here it is singular. And the in New Testament is written in Greek. And obviously in the Greek New Testament it is singular too. The fruit of the Spirit is. This is very important. This is a cluster. This is a one for all and all for one thing. 20, 25 years ago I was talking to a lady. We were talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And I, I, she said this to me. She said, well, I have some, but not all. Like, I'm loving and joyful. I just don't have self-control. I don't have patience. And it's kind of like a pick and choose. Uh, well, that'd be nice to do, wouldn't it? The, the, the ones you can pick or choose. But, see, these aren't spiritual gifts. These aren't, these aren't works. These aren't things, personality. See, this is where you get confused. You say, well, this is my personality. These are things produced by Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in you. They are singular. In other words, that all of these things should be present and obvious in our lives. Okay? Now, let's begin. Let's kind of walk through these things. When you look like Jesus, when when you really live for him, you look great. Let's walk through these nine qualities. And before we do, let me give you one one last little tidbit. These are 99% relational. In other words, this is how you relate to other people, okay? This is not primary God word. It's primarily horizontal. Jesus in you, living out of you. It's in here, and it comes out. It's how you look, okay? Number one is the word love. It's it's a loving person. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And this is the first thing for a reason. Now, remember the New Testament was written in Greek, and the Greeks had four words for our one word love. In English, when Brandon says, I love my wife, I love Wayne, and I love Chinese food, hopefully he means different things. Amen? Okay. Especially with the Wayne and Marcy. I mean, the Chinese food, I understand. That can be a tough one. But the Greeks had four words for our English word, one word, love. They had four words. Phileo, which was a brotherly love. It's found a few times in the Bible. They had a word for family love. Eros. We get our word erotic, sexual love. That's never found in the New Testament. And then there was the most prominent word in the New Testament the word agape. When it says, for God so loved the world, it means God so agaped the world. And here the word used is agape. Agape means I choose to love you. You choose to love me. It is not about feeling, it is not about emotion, it is about not about affinity, it's not about we agree or we disagree. It's saying this, that if God lives in me, one of the most dominant characteristics of my life is that I love other people in an active, benevolent, visible way. Let's start off right there. How are you doing so far? The fruit of the spirit is love. Listen, you can be hyper spiritual. I've been to, I spent eight years in religious graduate schools. I've seen scholars who've got two PhDs. You can go to hell with two PhDs in Bible. If God lives in you, you are loving. Are you with me? So, I mean, if you went to some of the seminaries I went to, you some of those guys, you'd wonder if they knew Christ, but uh, because just of their demeanor, it's loving. Second is joy. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. This, is, this word literally means to be a rejoicing or a, a happy spirit. I, I, I laugh at Christians sometimes because I hear Christians say things like this, Well, I'm not happy, but I'm joyful. Folks, they look the same. They smell the same. That just, that's religious gobbledygook is what that amounts to. They have different sources. The word happy comes from what happens. Circumstances. Happiness is produced from without. Joy, biblically, is what God does in us. Joy comes from God. But they look the same. Are you, are you following me? And see, some Christians, here's what some Christians think. Some Christians think that, that you are spiritual if you walk around angry. Have you ever known them? They're just intense and they're mad for Jesus. And you better be too. When I first became a Christian, I saw these people at my, my college and I called them the holy unhappies. Because they hated people who did bad things, and they were unhappy for Jesus. That's like a bug repellent, by the way. I mean, you want to turn people off for God, that will do it every time. Should you be holy? Absolutely. Should you be pure and moral? Absolutely. If Christ lives in you, should there be a joy in you that comes out of you? Absolutely. You want to pack this room? We need happy Christians in this place. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's pause. How many of you are planning on going to heaven someday? How many of you are glad that your sins have been forgiven, that you can have a better life here on this earth? Well, Dadgum, shouldn't we be happy? Amen. We should be full of joy. Charles Spurgeon was a great English preacher, and he was funny. One time he was, uh, a preacher came to visit him, and he was smoking his cigars, burned and smoked cigars. And the preacher came to the door, and he opened the door, and he said, I can't believe you're smoking. The preacher was real fat. And he goes, I can't believe you're so fat. (laughs) That shuts down the conversation real quick, doesn't it? Neither one of them are right, by the way, in my opinion, but... But that's how you shut down the conversation. Spurgeon one time was talking to young preachers about preaching. He said, when you preach on heaven, smile, smile. He looked at him and said, when you preach on hell, just use your normal faces. (laughs) Because they just walk around like this all the time. Fruit of the Spirit is joy, okay? These aren't optional, remember. Well, I've got this one, but I don't have that one. What comes after joy? And that's loving, joyful, and peaceful. It's a peaceful person. Back several years ago, Cindy and I got to go and stand on the USS Missouri. It's docked now. It wasn't out in the ocean. The USS Missouri, how many of you know what happened famous on that ship? Everybody in the early service, five of you doing this service. That is where World War II ended on September 2nd, 1945. That is where the Japanese leaders and the American leaders, the Allied leaders met, and they signed all those papers. Japan unconditionally surrendered. But you know what it took to get to peace? Man, it took devastation. I mean, it took atomic bombs being dropped at at thousands and and millions in Europe and and all over the world. Millions of people killed before there was peace. And and you're in a world war. Some of that's just necessary. But see, that's how some of us think of peace. Peace is when I crush you peace is when you say uncle peace is when I have my foot on your neck and you're saying I quit and I give up that's not what biblical peace is biblical peace is it's a peace on the inside that comes out of us it's relational a peaceful person is a person that goes out of their way to try to bring people together is there things we disagree on? sure is there things that ultimately about five things that that you have to split ways over Things like the authority of the Bible and who Jesus Christ is, things like that. Very few things. Most things, we come together. In Matthew 5, 9, Jesus said, read this out loud with me. It's very disunified. We're reading about peace and we have discord. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. A person who walks with Christ is a peacemaker, Okay. Love, joy, peace, patience is the next word. This word literally means to suffer long. How many of you have someone in your life you feel like you have suffered long with that person? <laughs> All the teenagers down here are raising their hands. We're talking parents, aren't we, aren't we? I understand that. That Literally, that, that means to endure and not strike back. It, it means that you take a stance That things can be tough, things can be difficult, but because Christ lives in me and comes out of me, he has developed a patient spirit in my heart. Listen, one of the great keys to success in life is a patient spirit. It was said about the Roman people in Jesus' day who had conquered their whole known world, they conquered it by patience. They just kept at it. Now, here's what some of you say. You, you you say, well, granddaddy wasn't patient. Mama wasn't patient. So I'm just like them. These aren't personalities. These are these are Christ personality traits, okay? That that should be in us and should come out of us. You know one way I can tell when I'm not I'm not as close to Christ as I need to be, my patience begins to shrink. Begins to shrink. And, and that means I need to go back and I need to be in my Bible more, I need to be praying more, I need to be surrendered more. Fruit of the Spirit is patience. After patience comes kindness. Kindness is a beautiful biblical word here. Kindness means a sweet mellow spirit. Now I know what some men when they hear this they think, oh that's just a sissy. You know, that's that's a that that's a great thing for a woman to have, but should a man have a sweet and mellow spirit? Listen, Jesus Christ in Matthew 11 was called a humble and lowly servant. Not lowly like a like like he was a punk or like he was a sissy, but lowly like he was he was a sweet and mellow person. Man, you know what the world needs? Man, we need people who are sweet, don't we? And that's exactly what Christ produces in us. Listen, uh, all these things are simply Jesus' personality coming out of us. A sweet spirit, a sweet kindness. The next word is good. The fruit of the Spirit is a goodness. Now, goodness, it means a couple of things. It, It certainly means a moral uprightness, but it also means an active benevolence. This is a person who does good things and who does good deeds and who serves people, who goes the extra mile to help people and to be involved in their lives. See, these are wonderful things, wonderful things. The fruit of the Spirit is good. How are you doing right now? How are you doing with love and joy, peace and patience, kindness? How how are we doing on this goodness thing? After goodness comes a great word, faithful. They're faithful. Loyalty and trustworthiness. Now, now certainly this would be to God here, but remember, these are primarily relational things here. So let's get real personal. Hey, guys, how faithful are you to your wife? Oh, man, I I haven't cheated on her. Yeah, how faithful are you? You know what I'm talking about. Ladies, how faithful are you to your husbands? And by the way, young people, if they'll cheat on you when you're dating, they'll do it when you marry them. Dump the cheater. Let them get rehab and date somebody else. Are you a faithful employee? You're a faithful friend. You're faithful to your family. To your church. You're faithful to your teammates. You see, this is a real sticky thing because I think from my age, 28 and down my age, that in all seriousness, I think we... We are losing loyalty. You know why? Because it's about us. If I don't like it, I'm gone. If, if, if it's not my way, it's the highway. I'm looking for the next big quick fix. And if I don't get it, I'm gone. Disloyalty is a spiritual problem at its very root. How faithful are you, how faithful are you after faithful comes a beautiful word too, and I think they're all beautiful, and that's gentle again this is can be perceived as kind of being sissy it's a meek and submissive spirit. The Greek people in Jesus day hated this word in fact, they considered it a word not worthy of them because It was too passive. It was too weak. They considered meek weak. But that's not what the word means at all. What what the word literally means, it means strength under control. We have a picture of a big horse. That's the picture of meekness, of a horse that can easily throw that little rider off and disappear and and be gone for good. But that is a gigantic, powerful horse that's been tamed. That's what biblical meekness is. Listen, Jesus was not a sissy. He was a carpenter in a day where there wasn't power saws. He walked, some people believe, the circumference of the globe in his lifetime. He didn't get crucified. He willingly went and was crucified. He gave himself up to that. But one of the, the, the glaring characteristics of Jesus is he had a teachable, open, approachable, meek, gentle spirit. And some of you men especially, you need to hear that. That's not weakness, that's strength. That's Christ-likeness. And certainly it's true for women too. See, these are beautiful things, aren't they? I mean, they really, really are. How many of you wish your children were like this? Or your parents were like this? Come on, give me some hands. Help me out. The cowards are shaking their hands like this. We have parents who don't spoil the, uh, spare the rod around here, apparently. How many of you men wish your wife was like this? Oh, God. Okay, women, man up. How many of you women wish your husbands were like this? And my wife broke her arm throwing it up, threw her shoulder out. Okay, since everybody in this church is doing well, let's just have the benediction and go home. But I, I'll give it this, and I knew this the women are more manly here than the men are. I mean, they were raising their hands more. You, you want this. A gentle spirit is a great, great thing. And the last word is self control. Self control. I heard a cute story of a, a, some parents who were teaching their kids memory verses, and their five year old girl was learning the fruit of the Spirit. These are good ones to learn. So they were rattling them off love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And remote control. How many of you grew up in a day before remote control? Let me tell you who didn't raise your hand. The remote control is a gift from the Lord. Did you know the Bible says this? The Bible says every good and perfect gift is from who? From God. Listen, I grew up. We have one TV in the house. We got ABC, CBS, NBC, and PBS. And my cable was four bucks a month. I remember this as a kid, and my dad would not get it. Four bucks a month, he wouldn't get it. And so we watched one TV, and guess who the remote controls were? It was the four children. So you, you, you go home the day you get on your knees, and you thank God for remote controls. Because I'm telling you, it was torture. Of course, it wasn't hard turning. I mean, you went, and then you were done. But why am I talking about that so much? I don't know. Let's talk about self-control. I was having a flashback, I guess. <laughs> Self-control. Okay. Brandon, t- do you agree with what I said in the first service and I'm fixing to say again? Okay. If you don't like what I say, Brandon, it's 614-9145. Oh, that's Josh's number. Sorry. I just gave that out. If you heard that on the Internet, he likes to call us late at night. Uh, most of us, what? We want to control things, don't we? You want to control your spouse, and your spouse wants to control you. That's why it's like professional wrestling in your house a lot. You have to control your kids to some degree, but some parents never let up. Their kids are 60, and they're still strangling them. And when you get older, now we're trying to control our parents because they're older, and we have to control them. And that'll be fun someday, won't it, when you get to do that? And and we try to control things in Ruston. We try to control things at Tech. Tech. We try to control things in our churches. We try to control things in our businesses. And the one thing we're really not real good at controlling is ourself. You ever thought about that? And the only thing I can control is me, ultimately. And so that's what this is pa- talking about. It's not talking about perfect self-mastery. It's talking about the person who's filled with Christ, develops a control over their tongue and their temper and their attitude, and their passions, they they develop a control over those things in their life. Now, I want, uh, I want to ask you, how self-controlled are you? It's fruit of the Spirit. And I want to read the last part of verse 23. Pay attention closely to it gentleness and self-control and those other things against such thing there is no law now listen to this cool thing here here's what he says if christ is in you and living out of you you don't have to have a set of rules to go by to 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 do things well because when you're controlled by the holy spirit and he's coming out of you you fulfill the law isn't that awesome Isn't that awesome? Listen, I'm a list guy. I like rules. I like spelling it out. But here's the cool thing he says here. When the Holy Spirit is controlling you, you don't have to have 84 things that that you have to watch every day because if those nine qualities are coming out of you, you are fulfilling the Word of God. Isn't that awesome? Stay close to Christ. Let Him live out of you, and everything takes care of itself. So here's the question of the hour. How are we doing with all this? Is this you? Is this me? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. I read a great article this week and a guy summed it up as well as it could be said. He said this If you're a Christian, you've been born of God, right? Born again. You've been born into the family of God. And when you're born into a family, you have family resemblances, correct? I mean, you, you look like who your birth parents are to some extent. You just do. You have some of their characteristics. And then if you... If you're raised by those same people for years, you not only have some of their physical characteristics, you develop some of their traits and you look and act like them. And here's what this guy said. See, when you've been born of Jesus, born again, saved, and and you by sustained interaction of praying, Bible study, in church, obeying God, obeying God, letting him live out of you, these things come in are in you and they come out of you. Does this make sense? You see, you can't manufacture these things. These aren't works. Machines can produce things. But something living has to be produced by something else that's living. These are produced when Christ lives in us and comes out of us. When we make a choice to follow him and daily, again, this is a daily choice to let him control our lives. These things are evident in who we are. All that's at stake on this may be your marriage, your happiness, heaven, hell, all that. Is this you? I want to share with you an article by a guy named uh, about a guy named Thomas Thomas Lineker, excuse me. Thomas Lineker was a doctor for some pretty famous people. He was the doctor to King Henry the Seventh of England and King Henry the Eighth. Everybody knows who King Henry the Eighth is. Wouldn't you have loved to be his doctor? One bad move and your head's on the block. Literally. He was the founder of the Royal College of Physicians in in England, and he was a a wonderful Christian man. And late in his life, he took Catholic orders to, to, uh, to be a priest. And for the first time in his life, he got to read the Bible. And I want you to hear me. This is the late 1400s, early 1500s. Nobody had Bibles then. The only people who had a Bible was the church. And, and, and how church would have been then, you would have come in, I have the Bible. The Bible oftentimes was chained to the pulpit, and you didn't leave with the Bible. Most people couldn't read anyway. And, and the, the lot, most of the Bibles were either going to be in Greek and Hebrew or Latin. And so for the very first time in his life as an older man, he was able to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Here's what he said, oh, my goodness. This has been a period where there's been a lot of religious and spiritual corruption. And he read the Gospels for the first time. He said, oh my goodness. Either this is not the Word of God, or we are not Christians. Let's look at those verses one last time. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Either that's not the Word of God, or we're not doing very well at all. And I've staked everything I am on the fact that's the Word of God. Let's pray. Jesus, man, open our hearts and our eyes. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you know Christ is in you, but, but man, these things are not like they need to be in your life. Repent today. Come back to Christ. Do whatever you need to do to make it right. And if you're here and you don't know if you're a Christian, maybe you're sure you're not. Would you pray with me where you are and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. I accept that you're God's son and that you died for me and that you arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart this morning. And today, by faith, I give you my life. Let me have your attention. Maybe you just ask Jesus in your heart, or maybe you're ready to do that. When we stand, would you come? Would you come today and let one of these ministers help you with that decision? Maybe you're here today and you're ready to join our church family. We would love for you to do that. One way you can do that when we stand is you'll just ease down the aisle. We'll have a minister here to help you. You can join us this morning. Christians, man, maybe where you're standing, maybe at the altar on your knees or with a minister, Today is the day to have a fresh start, to repent, to say, God, forgive me for how I've quenched you in my life. And God, I want to do anything I need to do for you to be free in me again. Nobody can make this choice for you. It's between you and God. Make the right choice now. Let's stand. And as we sing, you come.